Welcome back, everybody. We hope all you guys listening are having a great week. Uh, we're so excited to, to be on this episode of the Heavy Branches podcast, diving into Luke chapter 6. But before we do that, Tanner, how was your week? My week's been good. It's been extremely busy. I get married today for anybody listening on the Saturday when this actually dropped. No, well, wait. no, that'll be ne- That's next, next week. week. Yeah, by, my, by, my bad. So by the time you're listening to this, he will I be will married. I will have been married for a week. And, he'll, and you'll be on your honeymoon in, Yes, at uh, Disney. So <laughs> last week you listened to the podcast, I was getting married that day. This week, uh, but this is the week leading up to it. We, yeah. But so my week's been kind of crazy. I get Married tomorrow from the time of us recording this, not from the time that the listeners will hear this, but that's uh, that's exciting. So you asked me last week if I'm nervous. Are you nervous? Because you're the one actually doing the ceremony. Um, I mean, I'm a little nervous. Because um, this is your first one. Yeah, it's my first wedding. I was super honored you asked me to do it. Um, it's. I think it'll be fun. It's not going to be a full-length sermon, <laughs> so um, I don't think anyone is there to listen to anything that I have to say. They're there to celebrate you and Mackenzie and, and your marriage. So. Well, I'm, I'm there to listen to what you have to say. Well, <laughs> and, uh, and other reasons, but I, I, I asked say. you because I trust <laughs> you, and I really wanted uh, you to do it for us, and uh, so I'm honored that you are doing the ceremony oh. for us. It, it'll be a very good, memorable day, that's for sure. Absolutely. But how was your week? Um, it's been good. So we both preached on Sunday. Yeah. Um, so we both got to preach this week. That's always a huge blessing and, and something that I love doing. So that was good. Uh, I'm preaching again this Sunday. Are you Are you preaching this week? I am not because I will be leaving after the reception to that's right. head to Florida. You will be gone. Uh, so I, I will be away. I'll still be in church Sunday morning, but do you have a I church down preaching. there you're going to go to, or have you not found one yet? Uh, we probably so not this coming Sunday, but the next Sunday we'll probably go somewhere down there. This Sunday we won't actually be in Florida yet, so it'll be we'll stop somewhere. And, have you and, like planned out where you want to stop and find a, a church to go to, or not, not really? Not really. Uh, it'll I'll figure out where we're going to go to church Sunday based on where we stop Saturday night. Cause How long you can make it before you need to stop. Yeah. I get it, man. Yeah. So uh, we'll see We'll see Saturday night where we end up going Sunday morning. Okay, cool. Well, exciting stuff. Uh, but, yeah, it's been a good week. Got to preach Sunday, preaching again this Sunday, pre- preaching twice this week, and I guess technically if you count the wedding sermon, even though I won't go any over 10 minutes. <laughs> I count. Um, <clears throat> so exciting week of that. Um, school was great this week. Uh, classes were awesome. Um, not too much else exciting to add. Been a pretty normal week. Yeah. Why don't you remind them about the platforms we're on? All right. Uh, well, we are on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and as of recently, we are now on YouTube. Um, I mentioned last episode that it was my hope that we sh- should have the video working on Spotify by the time you're listening to the last episode, and I was able to get it work. Awesome. So okay. if you... Want to watch us on video while you listen to this? Um, you can do that on Spotify or YouTube. Um, you can also, if you don't want to see us, which I wouldn't blame you, you can still just listen to the audio on Spotify. You can click back and forth between, or just the little logo or the or the video. But so if you want to do just audio, you've got Google Podcasts and Amazon Podcasts, and then for audio or video, you've got YouTube and Spotify. Cool. 
Awesome. We also want to remind you to mark your calendars. We've been mentioning this uh, this for several weeks, but the family rally at the Grissom Church of Christ in Grissom, Indiana, is October 27th through the 29th. The National Prayer Clinic in Grundy, Virginia, is October 10th through the 12th. And then LBC, Louisville Bible College, their winter spring semester will start either January 8th or 15th. And I'll remind you again, there's also modules monthly, sometimes more than monthly, depending on the schedule of the school. But uh, we highly recommend and shout out Louisville Bible College for for um ministry education, as well as just Bible education and growing in faith. So we hope you'll check uh, those three things out, uh, yeah, for sure. maybe go to them. By the time you're listening to this, the National Prayer Clinic will be coming up super quick. Yeah, um, I got signed up for that today, actually. was talking to our friend Jacob Cave about it. Some of you may know Jacob Cave, but uh, he and I are going to be there, and uh, we're actually thinking about bringing our fly rods because he was down there this past week uh, visiting with a church up there, and uh, he spotted a trout stream where with some guys fly fishing. And, oh, yeah? Uh, for those of you who know me or Jacob, you may know we, we both love fishing, and especially fly fishing. So we're going to take our fly rods up and go a day early maybe and, and spend some time fishing up there. But I've heard some stories about the trout fishing in Virginia. I've, I've heard it's pretty good. So uh, I like hope you all have a good time. in Grundy or just in Virginia? Mm, just in Virginia in general. Okay. But, but it's probably pretty good everywhere. Have you decided if you're going to come or not? Uh, I have not, but we will see when things get closer, well, I guess. I've got an extra fly rod. <laughs> That's true. And I know you've been itching for an opportunity to fly fish. Well, Just I'm, saying. I've been itching for an opportunity to fish in general. Speaking of fishing, last week we talked about how Peter was fishing, and uh, Jesus then called him to be a fisher of men, along with... Um, James and John, and also Peter's brother. Um, as we grow together this week in Luke chapter 6, uh, I want to remind you all to read chapter 6. And as we continue in context, I, as I just mentioned, we, we covered last week the call of Peter, James, John, and Ma- uh, Matthew, as well as we covered how Jesus healed a paralytic and was forgiving sins. So this week, as we hop into Luke chapter 6, we're looking at a book with 49 verses. Here he goes again. He's going He's going right back up. Um, and the chapter title that I gave this week's chapter is What It Means to Follow Jesus. What It Means to Follow Jesus. And we'll discuss that more as we hop in. But uh, just remember that as we go through these chapters, we're not reading every verse, but we are hitting some key thoughts uh, that we find throughout the chapter that really impact our Christian life, our faith in Jesus, and also impact how we strive to bear fruit and Prove to be one of his disciples. So let's hop in together into Luke chapter 6. The first thing that we see is, and I'll go ahead and read verse 1, and then I also want to jump ahead and go ahead and read verse 12, because um, both those verses are, are connected uh, in a specific way. So 
Verse 1, now it happened that he was passing through some grain fields on, on a Sabbath, and his disciples were picking the heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands, and eating the grain. And then we jump to verse 12. I'll go ahead and read that. It was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. So the first thing is the New Testament church really does not understand this thing of the Sabbath. And part of that is because we... Most most Christians today, most New Testament Christians didn't grow up uh, Jewish, so we didn't learn really what the Sabbath was. But what we see is really the Pharisees didn't even under, understand the actual point of the Sabbath. So I wanted to discuss that a little bit so that we understand the importance of the Sabbath both in this passage, but also the importance of the Sabbath for us today. So the first thing, the purpose of this law, to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Why? What was, what was God's purpose in giving them, in giving Israel, giving the law through Moses to Israel? What was the purpose in this? Well, first of all, we learn in the Old Testament, we learn in Genesis, that when God created the heavens and the earth, on the sixth day he rested, right? And he didn't rest, God didn't rest because he needed to rest. This, I mean, he's God. He is all-powerful. He doesn't need rest. But he did rest. He took this time, and he took this time to look and dwell over all the good that he had made. The, the purpose of that time was to was to admire his good creation that he had made. And so what he wanted from Israel, when he gave them the Sabbath day, it says, for the Lord rested on the seventh day, mm-hmm. right? So he wanted them to rest. He wanted them to be rejuvenated for his purposes, and be encouraged by resting and taking time to look at the work that they had accomplished, but not not so much what they had done, but more importantly, looking at the work that God was doing and looking at the work that God was doing through them. And so it, this was more of a a rest for the soul by taking time to to look at all the things God was doing and to be rejuvenated for the purpose of then continuing in obedience the next week. Mm. Um, and the Pharisees and a lot of the Jews really didn't understand this, this real purpose of the Sabbath. And they had turned it into something that was uh, much more legalistic uh-huh. than... We don't ever see churches doing that today, do we? <laughs> yeah, uh, legalism is is rampant to say the least. But it's it's very interesting how skewed many of the laws, but specifically this law of the Sabbath, had been had been skewed by the Pharisees and. 
that's really a, a keynote on the whole existence of the Pharisees is that they were very legalistic, and we see that over and over again throughout the Scripture. But this day, it was a day made separate by God to remember he who is separate from all things. And when I, I say the word separate, the command is remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, right? And that's, that is what holy means. It is, it is a separate, it's a separation. Yeah. And so it is made, it was a day made separate. God made the day holy. He set it apart. Yeah. And then he made the day holy. He separate, he, he set it apart so that people could remember him who is separate, who is set apart from all things. So is this something that we still should follow and recognize today, or is this more of a of an old covenant, Old Testament thing? So that's one of the most interesting debates today. And we actually even have a, there's actually a denomination that believes that the Sabbath day is actually the Lord's day and not Sunday, <laughs> which we we say that the Lord's Day is Sunday because of Jesus Christ's resurrection. Yeah. That's when he was resurrected. That's why we worship on Sunday, the Lord's Day. It's the another first way day to remember we... the whole reason we're there in the first place. Exactly. So, But there is a group out there that believes, no, we shouldn't worship on Sunday. We should worship on the seventh day because really? that was the Sabbath day. Yeah. But I, I don't know if I've actually heard of that before. But so the question is, do we hold the Sabbath as Christians? And that's a good question. It's interesting that the command to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy is the only command of the Ten Commandments that's not repeated in the New Testament. Hmm. Um, However... That's something... Because that's what we normally look for, right? If we're trying to see, okay, does this rule or law or practice in the Old Covenant... If, if we're going to decide if it still applies to our life today and is binding, is it repeated in the New Testament and New Covenant era? That's normally yeah. what we look for. So is it is it something that every Saturday we have to hold as a Sabbath day? The answer, the short answer is no. Okay. But what the reason I read verse 12 is is because I wanted to point out that Jesus still took time to rest, pray, and be encouraged by the Father. So although we don't hold Saturday as the Sabbath day, the principle of the Sabbath is still extremely important for people, and it was even important for Jesus. And this verse 12, that doesn't happen on a Sabbath day. This time that he takes to to rest and and pray and be encouraged by the Father, that doesn't happen on a Sabbath day, but the principle is still shown. Time he takes time with God in prayer and is a and what we realize the end of the verse says he spent the whole night in prayer to God. Okay, so he's replacing sleep. And we talked a little bit about this in the pre- uh, previous couple podcasts, but he's replacing sleep with time in prayer with God, mm-hmm. and so this isn't just a this isn't just a a he wanted to pray. 
He is he is making prayer more important than than uh, the needs that we have. Biologically, the way we were created, some of the some of the needs we have is food, shelter, and water, and sleep. Those those are four needs that every human being has. Yeah. And without them, we can't function. What we're learning from this verse, what we're learning from Jesus is time with God in prayer is a need greater than food, greater than shelter, greater than sleep, greater than water, because spiritual health comes first. So something that I've noticed over these last couple of chapters, you mentioned we have talked about Jesus's prayer life. And, and we really see that come into play, especially in these last two chapters. And I've, I've loved getting to just dive into it and learn some lessons from it. Um, so not only here do we learn Jesus prioritized his prayer life, he, he put it on such a high level of importance and priority that he sacrificed sleep for it. We also learn a little bit about when Jesus prayed. Not, not just simply that it was all through the night, but if you keep reading, we learn that this night that Jesus spent no time sleeping and all of his time praying instead, this was the night right before he selected the apostles. Yeah. So, I mean, this is one of the, the bigger events in the life of Jesus, in, in my opinion. Obviously, it's not up there with the crucifixion or the resurrection, um, and, and, and it's not like a miracle is taking place, so it's not big in that sense, but... The apostles and, and and him selecting the apostles was essential for the the start and the growth of the church. Yeah, um, we have much of our New Testament today due to who he selected to be to be the apostles, and we we see different letters to different churches and how um, how we should think and believe and act as the church. So this is a really big moment and big decision in his life. And how does he lead up to it? He leads up to it with not sleeping at all the night before. So you think, like, sometimes in your own life, right before you've got a, a big thing going on the next day, like I think of, like, some big tests that I've had to take, whether it's for college or even, even back in high school or, like, when you, right, right before you take the ACT, something big's about to come up. Normally it's like, all right, you, you want to get to bed early, you want to get your sleep so you have a, a good mind and in, going into the next day. And I'm not saying I recommend pulling an all-nighter the night before a test to do good. <laughs> but what I am saying is is that we see Jesus prioritized his prayer over sleep, and we see when he prayed. Jesus felt that it was so important, so necessary to commune with God all through the night, right before one of the biggest moments and biggest decisions he had to make in his life. So my question to you listening, and to you, Tanner, and to myself is this right before big moments and big decisions in our lives what are the steps that we take to prepare for that yeah what are the steps that we take so that our will and what we do with the big big moments and big decisions becomes aligned with the will of God for us we learn from Jesus here that that one essential step in that is spending quality time and lengthy time in prayer. Absolutely. So prayer obviously has has an essential part in the Christian life. 
And we kind of connected that off of the question, do we, do we obey the Sabbath as Christians today? We don't obey it as in we hold the Sabbath every Saturday like they did in the Old Testament. But the principle of, of resting and spending time with God and thinking about all the good that God has done and all the good that he is doing in our lives, and then, as Jesus did, giving, praying to him about all of the things going on and these big decisions that we have to make, and, the, and, our, and all the things that we're doing in our life, trying to do for him, that principle is necessary. And we know it's necessary because we see Jesus did it. Um, if if the Lord of the universe had to take time to do this, without a doubt, as Christians, this is something that is more essential than food and water and shelter and sleep. This is something that if we really want to thrive as Christians and actually bear fruit, we have to take this time, whether it's a couple hours every day, whether it's a whole day, whatever day it is in the week, however you can take that time and it be actually sufficient, and and that's dependent on the person. Sometimes you need to spend more time because you got more going on. Yeah. Um. So, but this time, no matter who you are, is is an essential part of of the Christian life. That's, that's good stuff, man. And when we think about the idea of connecting these two things, of your prayer life and the Sabbath, you, you've talked about, and, and I fully agree with you, you've talked about part of the Sabbath is reflecting on what God has done and, and coming to a, an attitude of gratefulness and um, just, just relishing the fact that God has done great things for us the greatest of which of course is the gift of his son and and as we're in our sabbath time i want to encourage you guys to try to incorporate that into your prayer life have time to be grateful for the things that god has done remember what he has done for you whether it's what through jesus through giving us the word through giving us his spirit or or maybe it's something that's a little more um, how do I want to say this? Something that's more in today's time, I guess. So God gave us his son and his word and, and his spirit, you know, back when these things happened 2,000 years ago, but maybe it's something that he's done in your life. Maybe there's a, a sin that that you've been really struggling with and, and doing your best to come to a place of repentance, and, and God has helped you to overcome that or... Maybe you, you had always wanted to start a Bible study and, and and bear fruit for the Lord in that way, and it was really hard and challenging, and you were fearful of it, and it was out of your comfort zone, but you did it, and it was only because the Lord was able to help you through it. Take time in your prayer life to be thankful for these things and to acknowledge them before God. Yeah, I think far too often in our prayers, and far too often in my prayers, we, we go to God, and it's, God, please help these people that I know that are sick and are hurt, and uh, please help me through this week, and 
uh, thank you for Jesus, amen. And we just go to God and tell him what we need, and then maybe if we thank him for something, we thank him for Jesus, and then amen, and the prayer is over. We can't, we, we shouldn't just go to God like <laughs> we're going to a, a genie of, please give me this, please help this person, please do this for me. Yeah. All right, that's it. I completely agree. I I don't want it to seem like it's not okay to ask God for things because, and I'm not saying that's what you're saying at all, but it is it is it is not only okay. It's important that we go to God with our struggles and ask Him to help us with things. That 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 part of prayer shows God that we trust and and are willing to rely on Him Absolutely. in our lives, but. That can't be the only thing that our prayers consist of. Right. Prayer prayer is not just a, a time of begging. Prayer is a time of worship, and, and uh, it is a time to honor God. And as we honor God and realize all these wonderful things that he's doing and done, the harder stuff that we're dealing with— our, our hearts start to get settled because we see the greatness of God and how he is working in our lives. Absolutely right, yeah. And, I mean, when when people in my family or, or my friends are sick or deal or in the hospital, I pray for them, and yeah. I don't feel bad about that. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's what I need to be doing. But th- the point of what I was trying to say is, is if the large majority of your prayer life is nothing more than praying for God to heal sick people and to help those that are hurt and suffering. And we're just going to God asking for things. Maybe we have some more thinking to do on what we pray about. Yeah. And I would encourage you to see, double check what how Jesus prays, because you can learn a lot. The way he starts his prayers is not by begging for something. It's by acknowledging who God is and glorifying him. Mm. Um, and that is an important thing that I've tried to incorporate into my prayers. When I start praying before I do anything else, it always starts with th- with acknowledging who I'm praying to, the greatness of who he is, and then I start to speak about everything else I've got going on. And that really sets your heart and your mind in the right place for the rest of your prayer I've, is what I've found it. It's a good way to remind yourself just who you're talking to. Mm-hmm. When we acknowledge things about God's character, who he is and what he's done, and we come to him in a place of humility because we know that he is the creator yeah, and we are his creation and that he is infinitely above us and more powerful than us, it really puts into perspective just who we're talking to and who we have even the opportunity to talk to. Yeah, I completely agree. Moving now just into verses 2 through 5 of Luke chapter 6, we kind of continue this talk about the Sabbath a little bit, but we, we really focus on this thing of what the Pharisees thought the Sabbath was. Um, so a question I wrote down was, who says what is lawful? Because the Pharisees said, why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And I'm, I wrote in my Bible, I was like, according to who? <laughs> according to who is this what they're doing not lawful? Yeah. And so you see, the Pharisees thought that they established the law. 
Like it, God gave them the law, but they had set all these like little, I, I'll use the word legalistic rules, and they applied it to this this Sabbath day. And like I, we already said, that wasn't the intention of the Sabbath day. The intention was not for them to follow all these man-made rules that went along with what they thought the Sabbath day was for. Um, this day of rest, this time to keep it holy, it wasn't all about not working, which is what they had made it out to be. Yeah, It was about not working and replacing it with taking time to honor and glorify and be encouraged by the things God was doing. And so many people today think that we are our own moral authority. I mean, you see that all over the place. Oh, what's right in your eyes isn't what's right in mine, so I'm going to live the way I want to live, and I'm going to be happy. Yeah, I mean, that kind of reminds me of that phrase that we see over and over again in the Judges, too. Uh, you just kind of said it a little bit, yeah. but it says over and over again, they did what was right in their own eyes, and oh my goodness, we see that everywhere. Um, but we are not our own moral authority, and we see that Jesus teaches the Pharisees here they aren't their own moral authority. Yeah. And who is the Lord of the Sabbath? What we learn here is Jesus is the moral authority. And because of that, he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And that kind of has two, two things. Not only is he the Lord of the Sabbath in the sense that he's the one that sets the morality of the day and how we obey it. And I kind of mentioned that before. God... Um, is the one that God is the one that actually made the day separate, made yeah. the day holy. But not only that, but he's the Lord of the Sabbath in, in the sense that he's the one we're honoring. And so he's like, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Not only am I, am I the one that established this this day, but I'm also the the object, the being of the, of the day. Like, mm. that's who we're honoring. And the... Pharisees, number one, did not get that, and number two, they really did not like that Jesus made this very apparent to them. Don't step on their traditions. No, and don't step on anybody's traditions. That's uh, that's a hard hurdle to, to jump. Careful where you go there. You're going to get us in trouble. <laughs> so as we look at verses 6 through 10, we see that there's this man... He's got a withered hand. Jesus is preaching. Uh, this is a, actually a different Sabbath day than the day that uh, this chapter starts on. It says on another Sabbath. So he's in the synagogue teach, preaching and teaching, and there's a man with a withered hand, and the Pharisees are trying to trap him. You know, They're trying to find him in a, in a case of blasphemy or, or, or something, false teaching, whatever. And he heals on the Sabbath day. And the question gets brought up, is it ever wrong to do good? And I, I found this really interesting because there's a lot of conversations in the church that happen of, well, maybe it's just not the right time. Maybe 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 we should wait to handle this situation until something else happens. But 
when something good can be done, it should be done. And we learn this from Jesus right here in he's handling a situation on the Sabbath day where the Pharisees have set all these rules about you can't do this and this and this. And But God, Jesus knows that that's not the point of the Sabbath day, first of all. But second of all, doing good glorifies God. So is it ever wrong to do good? No, we, we should do good and by that glorify God, which is the whole intention of that day in the first place, is to honor him, obey him, and glorify him by thinking about all the good that he's done for us. Absolutely. Um, I mean, that's why we're told, or that's one reason why we're told to not grow weary in doing good. Yeah. And I, I believe that's in, is that Galatians 6? Uh, that sounds like it could be. Let you know, see, you know that I'm not the best it. at uh, just having uh, scriptures right off the dome. I normally have to to search for them a little bit. Well, I don't. I want to make sure I'm not quoting wrong. Is it ever wrong to do good, though? I mean, that is a question that we all need to ask ourselves. And we all need to realize that we all need to realize the reason that we do good. Are we doing good for ourselves? Are we? No, we're doing good. Number one, we're doing good for God. That's that is that should tell us the answer right there. The reason we do that is for God. So, no, it is not wrong. And the second part of it is. We're doing it for other people, which God expects us to do. So I found the scripture I was I was referring to. It was in Galatians 6. Um, it's Galatians 6, 9. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. And then verse 10. So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are in the household of the faith. So we get the idea from life of Jesus here in Luke, and then also later, in the New Testament, in Galatians chapter 6, that there isn't a wrong time to do good. Yeah. And in fact, the only wrong thing about doing good is if you intentionally delay it. Yeah. And, and I think we can do that a lot, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally. When we have the opportunity to do good, to bless somebody, not to bring praise to ourselves, but to bring honor and glory to God... We ought to do it. And that's one of those ways that we bear fruit. I mean, when we talked about it in the introduction, we had those four ways that we bear fruit. Mm-hmm. And doing good deeds and, and and obeying in righteousness, that was one of those four things that was a a way that we bear fruit for for Jesus and so proved to be one of his disciples. So looking back at Uh, Chapter 6, I just found it very interesting. In verse 11, it says, But they themselves were filled with rage and discussed together what they might do to Jesus, because again and again, Jesus is proving the Pharisees wrong. And so they're not happy with him. And it's just really interesting to me that we're in chapter 6 of 24 chapters of this gospel. And, you know, we're early in this book, Mm -hmm. and they are already plotting against him. They are already beginning to um, 
seek an avenue to at least silence him, if not already considering murdering him. Um, then we get into choosing the twelve, uh, and we read that Jesus takes time, you know, J- Jake already mentioned that Jesus took time to pray and really think and pray to God and and take God's guidance and who to pick as the 12, which 11 of them would end up becoming the the apostles that that started the church mm-hmm. um, and and really led in the in the teaching and the doctrine that Jesus taught them uh, following that. But when we get to verse 20, we dive into the Beatitudes, and this is really a like a condensed version, would you say? A condensed version of the ones in Matthew? Yeah, um, Luke here has uh, a condensed version of the Sermon on the Mount. So in Matthew, yeah. you know, it, it takes up three whole chapters. Luke here, it's just the, the second half of chapter six. So it's some of the same teachings. Um, we see some different things in it from what Matthew said, and I, I think oftentimes people might view that as, oh, well, the Gospels contradict each other. Well, Matthew would have been an eye. We talked about this in the intro. Matthew would have been an eyewitness. He would have been there. Yeah. And whereas Luke would have been secondhand. And so it's like if uh, if this Sunday I, I'm preaching at, at the Antioch Church of Christ, right, and my friend Isaiah will be there, and someone goes and asks Isaiah, Hey, what did Jacob preach on Sunday? And he can tell you, probably if he listened, and I'm sure he will, pretty verbatim what I said. Well, if Isaiah goes and tells his other friend, and then you go to Isaiah's other friend and say, hey, what did Jacob preach on this past Sunday? He can still tell you what I preached on. Or is every detail going to be exactly the same? No. But the message isn't contradictory. Yeah. And the other, the other thing of that is like, if just for the for an example if i if me and you are in high school writing an essay right on whatever and we turn and you write yours and then i copy off you cuz i'm not the best writer and i never <laughs> have been right word for word what's the che- what's the teacher going to do well it's we're going to get marked down for plagiarism yeah we're going to get in trouble for cheating because I wrote exactly what you wrote, and there was no there was no original thought about it. Okay, and not that they would get in trouble for directly copying off each other, but it's cl- it would be very clear that this wasn't a um, like it would be very clear if Luke copied right off of Matthew, or like it would lose its unique perspective. Yes, to Luke being the author. Yeah, and so when. You, because it's different people, you should expect it to have some minor differences that aren't contradictory, but actually complement each other in, yeah. in in the story or the account of Jesus's life. Um, so we we pick up in verse twenty, and the the beatitudes start, and he begins very similar to how he does in, in Matthew chapter five where the Sermon on the Mount starts with this thing of the Beatitudes, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. And what this is, is Jesus is saying, 
blessed are those that seek God. If you seek him, you will be blessed. And this word blessed is kind of like a um, a congratulatory thing. Like he's saying congrats to you who seek me. Because if you do that, you are going to receive these these promises, these these uh, gifts. And, you know, we see yours is the kingdom of God. Um, you shall be satisfied for you shall laugh. Um, um, part, part of it is he's, he's getting at this, at this thing of uh, delayed gratification. And we see some of that in the woes. So like in verse 24, woe to you who are rich for you're receiving your comfort in full. You're getting your reward now if you're not going to have any desire in you to seek God. If you're just rich with the things of this world, you, you're, you're getting your comfort now. And you go on, woe to you who are well fed now, for for you shall be hungry. Um, if you're so full again of the things of this world, you're you're not you're getting your gratification now, rather than waiting to re- receive your reward in heaven. And and I could go down through this whole thing, but that's really a key thought that that I had reading through this is when we are living for the kingdom of God, we are not that we live miserably. But a part of it is is delayed gratification that we will get our reward in heaven. We have a promise, and it's not a promise that will ever be broken because God is faithful. And so we see these things, you know, if you do these things, basically, if we seek God in these ways, we will be blessed. And so those ways are, the first one is be humble, not proud. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Be humble. That's that's what, and there's some help with the Matthew passages in in really understanding this. But it's really about humility. And then the next thing, uh, it, it speaks of those who are hungry. It is those that strive or hunger for what's right, mm-hmm. who want to do righteousness. And not only that, but this one has kind of one of those twofold things where not only are we striving to do what's right, but who is who is the very existence of righteousness, mm. it is God. So those f- who hunger for righteousness in the sense that we hunger for God, we're seeking him and seeking what he wants us to do and what he wants us to do is that which is right. Those will be blessed. And then the next thing is those who are, uh, those who weep now, uh, those who sorrow, and this is really about being sorrowful over the things that God is sorrowful about. Mm-hmm. And, okay, what is what does God get sad about? Sin. It is, it is sorrow over unrighteousness. So, blessed are those, blessed will be those that see unrighteousness and and sorrow and grieve over what unrighteousness is. It's sin, and it's sin in our. We should sorrow over sin in our own lives, and we should sorrow in, over sin in in the world and in other people's lives. And that sorrow, it, we don't have a lot of that sorrow for other people's sins, and that's something we got to fix. Because a lot of times we see sin in other people's lives, and it's all judgment. And we'll get to that a little bit later. Not only is it all judgment, but it's, oh, well, that's their problem. It's between them and God. It's their problem. It's uh, 
it you you almost there there's this level of like hatred towards people and and a lot of that comes out of self pride because we are like oh well we're better but we got sin in our own lives well there's 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 a, a level of hatred to it but on the other hand sometimes there's a level of just not caring as well yeah and and i want to make this distinction as christians we shouldn't go to people who are not christians and and be like condemning of them and expect them to live like a christian should live but it's different when it's a christian yeah when it when it's when it's a fellow christian and they've they have an obvious sin in their life we we should hold them to a different standard than we would someone who's not a Christian. Because I, I can go to you as a brother in Christ, and if I see, if I, I mean, I hang around you a lot. We spend a lot of time together. If I see that you're just being really hateful and angry, and you know, I can tell something's going going up, going wrong. I'm going to come to you and say, "Man, you might need to check your attitude. You, you've been kind of hateful this week." Yeah, it's something that and, needs to be addressed. Or, or no matter what the sin is. We handle it differently with a, with a fellow Christian than we would with someone who's outside of Christ. And both in both situations, you have to have love. Absolutely, yeah. Um, it's just uh, there's a there's a different way to handle it. Absolutely, but we we should sorrow over unrighteousness, and we should feel that in our with our own sin, and also sin in other people's lives. And no matter. Who we're dealing with, whether it's a Christian or a non-Christian, that sorrow that we feel because of their sin and unrighteousness, it shouldn't lead us to an attitude of hatred toward them, It should, and it shouldn't lead us to an attitude of not caring because, oh, well, that's between them and God. It should lead us to a position of wanting to help them in any way that we can. Yeah, some compassion. And, and, the, and the help that we can offer, like I was saying, is going to be different if it's a Christian versus a non-Christian, if we're dealing with someone who's not a Christian and they're struggling with sin in their lives, our compassion for them shouldn't be, you need to stop living wrong. It's, we need to help lead them to Christ. Yeah. And when they when they find Christ and find a true relationship with him and and we, and we they become a Christian, he can, he can address what's going wrong in their lives. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then the last thing, uh, as far as the congratulations or the blessed, blessed are those that stand strong and endure persecution. In all of these things that we're supposed to do right, in, in our humility, in our striving to do what's right and to seek after God, in our sorrow over unrighteousness, not being happy about doing wrong like so many people are today, but actually being sorrowful over unrighteousness, in those three things, we're going to endure persecution. Mm -hmm. And so blessed are those that endure through that and hold to what's right and continue to seek after God. Man, I I love this teaching strategy of Jesus. Um, Every once in a while, you're reading the Gospels, and he'll just say something that you're like, that doesn't make any sense. And so when you read in verse 22, blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. And, and this word blessed, we see um, when, when you look at the Greek, it's, it's a word that means like happy or, or fulfilled. Uh, makarios is the word. And so... Jesus is saying here, blessed are you, 
happy and fulfilled are you when men hate you <laughs> and ostracize you <laughs> and insult you and scorn your name as evil. And, and, and on that day, be glad and leap for joy. What is he even talking about? When people hate me, when, when people ostracize me and insult me and scorn my name, the last thing that I'm thinking about is being glad and leaping for joy. So what in the world is he saying here? Well, he, he tells us a couple things we need to focus on. For the, sake of son of, for the sake of the Son of Man, that key phrase in verse 22, blessed are you when, when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil. Why? For the sake of Jesus. So when we're persecuted because we're living for him, for Jesus, we, we have every right to be glad and to leap for joy. Why? Not because we're focused on the way people treat us here on earth, but we know that because we are living faithfully for Christ, despite what everyone else is trying to do to us to bring us down and persecute us, we're going to have a great reward in Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I just love when Jesus has these moments of teaching with... He says a statement that you're like, you read it, and you're like, that can't make sense. That's not right. And yeah. then you, you read it in more context and think about it, and, and you get the picture. I, I love when he when he teaches like that. So Jesus goes from this thing of talking about those that seek him, those that seek God, to these this list of things about those that seek their own. And that's when we get into these woes, or the watch out, <laughs> is like a, as how I like to say it. And he, he warns against the rich. Now, anybody that has money, is that what he's talking about? No, he's talking about people that are richly selfish. Mm. That with all their wealth, they are, are selfish with it, and all they're doing is using it for their own purposes and their own will, and they aren't seeking God. Um, they aren't recognizing that he is the reason that they even have wealth, you know? Um, the second thing is those that thrive in unrighteousness. So that's completely opposite of the those that strive for what's right and that hunger for what's right and hunger for God. These people are watch out for watch out that you don't you aren't one of those people that thrive and and love and just dwell constantly in unrighteousness. Mm. Watch out, and then uh, the next thing, watch out. That you're not one of those people that not, not only dwell and, and, and live and thrive in unrighteousness, but that you watch out that you don't find joy in, in unrighteousness. Yeah. Are you sinning and just loving it? That is just, I mean, I, there, are, there are sins that we do, uh, that all people do that are, are uh, that I would say are accidental at times. Yeah. But then there's another level to it where you just love it and it that is just the coldness and the evil of our hearts and it can be easy to fall into that yeah there's a reason that that satan is so successful with his temptations is because sin can be desirable and it can feel good in the moment it can be enjoyable in the moment but it's never worth it in the end and he says to those that he he says, "Woe to you that laugh now!" Those that have joy in the evil that they do, you shall mourn and weep. And that, I mean, that's a, that's a direct, you know, statement about hell. You you know, if you are if you are enjoying sin now, if you're loving the evil, 
you're, there's a major consequence for that. And then uh, the last woe is woe to those that live unholy and are well spoken of. So we go from people that are where you are congratulated, blessed, happy and fulfilled when men hate us because for the sake of the Son of Man, right? The opposite co- side of the coin is if you're well spoken of because of how you live in an unholy manner, watch out. Hmm. Watch out. Because you won't always be well spoken of. No. When, Not when the day of judgment comes. When the day of judgment comes, you know, is Jesus going to say, I knew you? Or is he going to speak, is he not going to speak well of you because he didn't know you? And then we get into this thing of, I, I really think Jesus starts talking more about, okay, I've told you some ways to seek God. Right? Um, so now that I've told you ways to seek him, follow. Um, and so Jesus begins to teach on love. He says, love even your enemies. And we must choose. That is, that is a choice we have to make is that we must choose to love and bless and do good and pray for other people. And, you know, he even says to love our enemies. So you mean love is is not just a feeling? Love is not just a feeling. Love is, love is the opposite of pride, not the opposite of hate. Hatred is a feeling that we have for people. And hatred spawns from being prideful. Love is a choice, and when we love people, we will do good for them. We will treat them the right way. We will be kind. Mm. But love is a choice that we have to make. And if you disagree with me, read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where it talks about what love is. And you will see love is the—it talks about love not being prideful. Yeah. Well, love is commanded— Right, So Jesus commands us above all else to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says the second greatest commandment is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So if love is is truly nothing more than an emotion or a feeling, how could that be commanded? Think about that. Yeah. So if I'm sitting here right next to you, I command you right now to be sorrowful or to be to be happy. Can you just can you just decide to do it? No. No, I mean, you You can change your perspective, which helps you to have certain emotions, but it is really hard to just flip a switch and be happy. Love is not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It, 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 it is emotional, and it has a lot to do with the way we feel about people, yes. but it is not simply emotional and, and, and feeling. So... When we say Jesus, Jesus tells us, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. That has to be a choice because we're not going to just have positive feelings <laughs> and emotions toward people that are enemies. And that goes back to the teaching style I was just talking about of Jesus saying things that sometimes don't make sense at first glance. 
why in the world is he saying love your enemies and do good to those who hate you? That doesn't make sense. That's not our natural inclination. If I were to walk up to somebody on the street and just go slap them across the face, <laughs> they're going to they're gonna be rearing up to fight me back. Yeah, It's when people hate you or do something bad or wrong to you, it's not our natural response to love. It is love is a choice we make despite how we feel. Yeah, yeah. And we see that in these in these verses as you look from uh, verse 27 uh, and following as he talks about love. And so the question, when we, see, when we see these verses, it's like, okay, so how do we love? And the answer is Jesus is saying we should love extraordinarily. We should love in a holy way, separate from how the world thinks love is. We should love and I'll, I'll say this, we should love as it's commanded in chapter 13 of John. In John, we, we find this new commandment that Jesus gives us, and this new commandment is love, love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And that's verse 34. And as we, if you go and look and read through John 13, the whole chapter, what we find is this is following Jesus actually showing the disciples what he means by love. Love, love is all throughout the Old Testament, and this, and it's embedded in the Old Testament law that we should love. Now, it doesn't. It says, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, mm-hmm. soul, and strength, and love your na- uh, love your neighbor as yourself." You know that's Old Testament, and it's embedded throughout the law that we should treat others well, right? But so, what's so different about this new commandment? that Jesus gives us to love, it's to love like him. Okay, how does he love? Well, looking through John chapter 13, he, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. He makes himself lower. He humbles himself before them and washes their feet. And Peter's like, no, 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 don't wash my feet. But Peter's problem here, and a problem that a lot, so many of us have, is we refuse to admit that we need Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that is the start of true humility for, for anybody, for a Christian, is being able to admit, I can't do it on my own. If I, I, can't, I can't wash myself, so how in the world can I wash somebody else? Jesus is perfect, so he can wash somebody else. But because we're imperfect... Until we are humble enough to admit that we need Jesus and he washes us clean, we're not going to be able to help and love anybody else the way that Jesus wants us to love. So humility and love, they are intrinsically linked. And that is, so how do we love in response to what Jesus is saying here in Luke chapter 6? He's wanting us to love in a way that is that is so different than the world. It is a choice, and it starts with humility. So you mentioned John 13 and Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Something I find interesting, you know, Judas is there, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Jesus knows what Judas is about to do. Yep. So I'll ask you this. How do you think Jesus' feelings and emotions were toward Judas that day? Knowing what he was about to do. I 
I mean, he already felt the betrayal. And in fact, in the chapter, we see that Jesus is predicting in the chapter, Judas is about to betray me. So Jesus knows Judas is about to betray him. His feelings, his emotions toward Judas probably aren't in the best spot. Mm -hmm. Yet, Jesus still chooses to love him and to wash his feet. Mm -hmm. So is love a choice? Is love an, an emotion or a feeling? Or is love a choice we make despite how we might feel? It is very interesting in that chapter that Jesus is acting in love and humility. And it is ironic that at the same moment, as Judas is letting Jesus wash his feet, that Judas is in his heart prideful and hate and has hatred in his heart. And just moments after, he goes on to betray him. So, how do we love? We love for their sake, for the sake of others, and we love for our own sake out of respect for God. And obedience to God. Yes. Looking at verses 37 through 42, this is probably one of the most famous scriptures uh, in all of the Bible because people take it the wrong way. And I'll just go ahead and read it, specifically verse 37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. And do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will not be pardoned. So many times people say Christians should not judge. Doesn't the Bible say that you're not supposed to judge? It's what you just read to over me. Over and over and over and over again, we have heard that. Let me tell you, number one, this is people taking that and saying it that way is a perfect example of somebody taking a command or a, a verse out of context. Okay. A perfect example. This is not a command against pointing out sin. Pointing out sin is actually, look, look at the context. Jesus is talking about love and mercy. Pointing out sin is actually loving and merciful. Okay? And, you know, he just got teaching about, he just got done teaching about love and mercy. But as we learn um, from the following parable that that Jesus speaks, he's saying, don't judge. This is really a command against hypocrisy. He's saying, if you haven't handled your own situation, <laughs> if you haven't handled your own sin, this goes back to what we just talked about in, with John 13. If you haven't, allowed Jesus, if you haven't humbled yourself and allowed Jesus to wash you first, you're not going to love and have mercy towards other people like you should. Mm. And so this command is not that we shouldn't bring about, not that we shouldn't help people see their sin. And we were talking earlier about the difference between showing somebody, uh, somebody that's a non-Christian and, and, a, and a Christian. The way we show people their sin that isn't a Christian is not by saying the Bible says that you shouldn't do this. <laughs> it's by showing them God. 
Yeah. I think it was last week we talked about how when you come before God, you should recognize your sin and your your unrighteousness and how how um like little you are in compared or or how I can't think of the word, but I think you all get the idea. When we when we come before God, it is in in this immense humility because of who He is. Yeah. And in when we when we guide people to Jesus, they will begin to recognize their sin. That that is how we how we approach helping people see their sin in the before Christ part of life. Post Christ. They already know God, so number one, they should be reminded of who they, whose name they wear. Yeah. They're Christians now. But number two, the, out of love and mercy for them and for who they are as a, as a brother or a sister in Christ, we need to show them what their sin is so that they don't burn in hell because of the sin that they're committing. Um, so again, this isn't a command against pointing out sin this is a command against hypocrisy in not handling your own sin first or pointing out a sin and then doing that same sin he's really talking about not judging unfairly or hypocritically yes and sometimes you know the best way to handle a sin is actually working with somebody that has a similar sin and holding each other accountable but the thing is, if if you're holding the other person accountable, but you're not trying to work on this in yourself, that's hypocritical. Yeah, and that's what Jesus is teaching and preaching against here. We then we get into verses forty three through forty five, and Jesus has preached this this sermon on on blessings and what to watch out for, the woes. He's preached on love and mercy and judging and hypocrisy. With all of these things in mind, the question comes, are we bearing good fruit? And where does good fruit come from? So verses 43 through 45, I want to read these. For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit, for men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from briar bush, from a briar bush. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil, for his mouth speaks from what from that which fills his heart. Are we bearing good fruit? I mean, this goes right along with the whole point of our podcast. Yeah. Are we of the vine? Are we part of are we, are are we in Christ? Are we of those that are going to receive the the blessings? Are we of those that are are doing those things that that God says congratulations to? You will be blessed. Are you loving and are you merciful? Or are you part of that group that needs to watch out? Are you part of that 
judgeful, hypocritical group. So as you think about this, and, and we want you to think about this in your own life, and we're thinking about this in our own lives so that we can all strive to bear fruit for Jesus. If we're not, if we're not bearing fruit, we learn here from verses 43 to 45 that it all starts with the condition of our heart. Where is your heart? Because verse 45 says that for his mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. It says that a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. So if we're not bearing fruit, or if we are bearing fruit, and it's bad fruit, where we need to go back and start is what is the condition of our heart? What are the things that we treasure? What are the things that we think about? What are the things that we pray about? What are the things that we devote time to and have a special place in our lives? What is the condition of your heart? The answer to that question is going to dictate the fruit that you bear, whether it be good fruit or bad fruit. Are we of the vine bearing good fruit, or are we blind by our own sin bearing bad fruit? As we finish the chapter up, we see in verses 46 through 49 what we really what we really understand is not only that Jesus is Lord, but for those of us that are in Christ bearing good fruit with Jesus as our Lord, we have a solid foundation in him. There's a true emphasis here on what what Jesus is basically saying to conclude his sermon here. If you just hear me, if you just listen to me, or if you just read this and then go on your way, you've done no, no good. Mm-hmm. It hasn't done anything for you. Why do you call me? Lord, Lord, and not do what I say. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words, and get this phrase, and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house, who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, not if a flood occurs, when a flood occurs, because the storms of life are going to come, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it, because it had been well built. But the one who has heard, and here it is, and has not acted. So both people have heard, but the second one has not acted accordingly. Is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it, and it immediately collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. So to conclude this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches, If you've sat through this sermon and you've listened to me preach, or if you've sat through this and read it in the Bible, you hear me, you've read it, you understand it, but you do not act accordingly. You haven't truly built a foundation that is going to last when the storms of life come. You haven't built a foundation that is going to allow you to serve and bear fruit unless we not only hear the word of Jesus, but act accordingly. Take action this week. Living a a good, fruit-bearing life with Jesus gives us a life that is stable 
a life that has purpose, and a life that has hope for the future. And we don't want you all to just know what good fruit bearing is. We want you all to bear fruit. That's the whole point of this podcast. With that said, with us wrapping up chapter six, you got anything else before we finish? That's all, man. Uh, Just always as a reminder that as we challenge you to bear fruit, we don't do this from a perspective of we are the example. Jesus. I'm, I'm looking at Tanner, and I want you to bear fruit. And I'm looking at myself and my own heart, my own life. I want to bear fruit, too. It's not from a position of pride or authority. It's a position of we're all in this together, working for the same Lord in the same kingdom. And that Lord is our example in all of this. We want to thank you all for listening. We want to ask you that you leave a like or comment or ask questions. Don't forget to hang out with us next week as we hop into Luke chapter 7. Jesus is Lord. We want to serve him. So go bear fruit. May grace, mercy, and peace be with you. Go bear fruit and so prove to be one of his disciples.